live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time agents. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. Your Friday, January the 6th of 2023. Not in our WSBT studios today because I have a quick transition from Sports Beat to Notre Dame hockey tonight. So I'm broadcasting from my man cave, almost like the days we had. <laughs> Far too many of during COVID. But I'm in my luxurious man cave, and we will have Sports Beat tonight through 7 o'clock, and then I'll have Notre Dame hockey on our sister station, Quality Rock, 94.3 FM. Pre-game coverage at 7.45, opening face-off at 8 o'clock. The Irish have nothing but Big Ten conference games the rest of the way. And tonight they open up a two game road series at the Kohl Center in Madison, Wisconsin against the Wisconsin Badgers who are eight and 12 overall and they are just one and nine in the Big Ten Conference. They are the only team not nationally ranked in the seven team Big Ten Conference. Notre Dame barely holding on. They are 20th this week in the USCHO.com so it will be Notre Dame and Wisconsin from the Kohl Center coming up tonight, 745 pregame, again on Quality Rock, 94.3 FM. If you would like to check out some high school boys basketball action tonight, we have that for you on our Midwest Family Stations. This time on 96.1 The Ton, it is a Northern Lakes Conference matchup as the Mishawaka Cavemen will visit the Plymouth Pilgrims. Brian Miller and Ron Heklinski will have the call from Plymouth. Mishawaka is 9-2 on the season, 1-0 in conference play. They already have a road win over Concord under their belt, and they will look for their seventh consecutive victory. The Cavemen have won six in a row to move their record to 9-2. They blew out Elkhart Tuesday night at the Cave, 80-56. So, that's what we've got for you tonight on our Midwest Family Stations. And tomorrow here on WSBT Radio, we have Fighting Irish Basketball 
Not sure what we're going to get out of the Fighting Irish as they're in Chapel Hill to take on the North Carolina Tar Heels. The Irish have not won a game all season away from Purcell Pavilion. They are 0 for 4 in the ACC. Coming off an extremely frustrating and disappointing loss at Boston College. They led, what, about 18 minutes and 23 seconds? I'm sorry, 38 minutes and 23 seconds of the ball game and then fell behind with a minute 40 to go. Ended up losing by seven to a mediocre Boston College team. Carolina's coming off a nice home win over Wake Forest. They're two and two in league play, so that's what we have in front of us tomorrow morning. It is Notre Dame at North Carolina right here on WSBT Radio. We've got the pregame at 11 a.m., and then the game gets started at 11.30. Well, coming up on the program this evening, we've got a conversation lined up with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Patrick Engel. He will join me at the bottom of this hour, and we will talk about several topics, including Notre Dame acquiring the services of transfer quarterback Sam Hartman, who played five years at Wake Forest. We will talk about what appears to be a lack of depth along the defensive line after someone who could have come back this year decided not to today. We'll tell you who that is coming up in just a second. And also another addition from the transfer portal today. Plus, we'll talk to Patrick about this Irish basketball team that he covers for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We have our Twitter question of the day coming up in just a little bit. We'll take a look at the possibilities for the Chicago Bears picking up the number one pick in the NFL draft. And also, in the 6 o'clock hour, we will have a conversation with Connor O'Neill from DeaconsIllustrated.com. He has covered Sam Hartman at Wake Forest for five years. He'll offer his thoughts on this great-looking quarterback that Notre Dame has picked up for one season and a chance for Sam Hartman to improve his draft stock by going to more of a pro system under Tommy Reese. So that conversation is coming up in the 6 o'clock hour here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. But let's get the program started with our first pitches. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Well, it's been a busy transactional week for Marcus Freeman's Fighting Irish football team. Of course, grabbing the services of Sam Hartman, huge for this offense for 2023. Wanting to make a push for the college football playoffs once again, you got USC, Clemson, Ohio State on the schedule. You're going to need a great quarterback, and the Irish feel like they have a difference maker in Sam Hartman. I put him in the difference maker category. That's for sure. But as Marcus Freeman has said many times, he wants this program to be centered around, or the foundation pieces are the offensive and defensive lines. And he's right. That's how you build a championship team. Yeah, you need a great quarterback and a great this and a great that. But you better have really good pieces and depth along the offensive line and the defensive line for everybody else around them to have a chance to have success. Bringing Harry Heastan back into the program has solidified the offensive line going forward. Just think how much they improved from the first two games. 
throughout the season. Marcus Freeman wants to be able to run the football, run it when the other team knows Notre Dame's going to run it. And you feel good about the direction of the offensive line, in particular next year with two benchmark tackles. There's a lot of buzz about Billy Shrouth being a really good interior offensive lineman. He'll take up one of the guard spots likely. We'll see who gets the other job. But it looks like there are pieces in place for that to work once again. You go to the defensive side of the football, and I would have to think, as we sit here today, going into spring practice, there might be more questions about the defensive line than other parts of the football team. I think safety goes into that category, too. We'll talk how Notre Dame has hopefully enhanced that position in just a moment. But defensive line, is this group going to be championship caliber to help this football team reach their goals? We have been truly spoiled, and the program benefited from the service of Mike Elston as defensive line coach. We saw him recruit at an extremely high level and developed as good as anybody on the staff the last couple of decades. Those defensive lines were outstanding under Mike. Of course, in the Fiesta Bowl, he had the chance to be defensive coordinator when Marcus Freeman took over as head coach last year. It did not go well. And Elston ended up leaving the program and went back to his alma mater of Michigan. Coach Washington brought in from Ohio State to take over for Mike. And right now, it looks like there's going to have to be some development done along the defensive line for this to be a big part of a playoff team. Today, we found out that, unfortunately, a guy that could have come back to Notre Dame to be a, what you could say is an impact player for this squad next year, Justin Adamiola has declared for the 2023 NFL Draft. That means... Notre Dame is without three of their best pass rushers from this past season, the Adamoyolas. Also, of course, the all-time sack leader in Notre Dame history, Isaiah Foskey, already in the NFL draft. Just to avoid any more confusion on Twitter from non-media members who run podcasts and think they are media members, if you're reading that Jason Adamiola left the program he did not he was out of eligibility justin adamiola had a year left and has elected not to use it it sounds like it was a tough decision based on his social media post so justin could have been isaiah foskey's replacement at the viper but that's not going to be the case as justin adamiola is headed to the national football league draft now notre dame has been trying and are still trying to bring in transfer portal players, players along the defensive line. They did a really good job last year bringing in Chris Smith from Harvard late in the process. A very nice depth piece along the interior of this defensive line. So just because you don't have guys right now doesn't mean it's not going to work out down the line. The kid from Michigan City that went to Western Michigan picked Florida State. That didn't work out. Apparently, they're looking hard at a defensive end from Utah State right now. So they're trying to figure out parts to add to this defensive line. So the coaching staff, as they work on players in the portal, 
You look ahead, and players, they're going to have to develop more on their current roster. Guys that come to mind for me is Nana Osafa Mensa. You've got Riley Mills, who has played inside and outside along the defensive line. You've got another opportunity with him. And then a guy that, boy, physically looks the part. They are using his skills the best they can, and that's Jordan Botello. So those are some of the names that stand out right now, but a long way to go in the process, but let's see where they are depth-wise along the defensive line and, and who ends up being starters on the outside of this defensive line. I think you can see this is why one of the more popular conversations we're probably going to have and media members watching practice in the spring is along the defensive line to see who emerges from a, a pretty good defensive line last year. And you think about the last few years, the defensive lines have been so good. Again, credit to Mike Elson for what he gave to this Notre Dame football program, but we're now in a new era and it's time to reload that particular position group. Justin Adebayola had three sacks last year, five the previous year, ended up with nine sacks in his Notre Dame career. And again, he leaves a year of eligibility on the table. Justin Adebayola has declared for the 2023 NFL Draft. So Adebayola, Adebayola, Bosky, those are some big-time players leaving this Fighting Irish football program. And honestly, you want guys to go early. I know that sounds weird, but that means you're recruiting the right guys, you're developing the right guys, and they're impacting your football team. And the hope is that every time one of these guys leaves early, due to your proper recruiting and development, the next guy is ready to roll. There might be a little gap right now, but for so many years that has been the case here in South Bend. All right, another storyline that developed today involving this Fighting Irish football team. Notre Dame was able to add a defensive player from the transfer portal. We told you about him yesterday. He was on campus and committing to the Irish today, Oklahoma State safety. Thomas Harper. He's got one year of eligibility remaining. He is a player coming out of high school that Division I programs were not very interested in. His only Power Five offer was Oklahoma State. He was a two or a three star coming out of a Knoxville, Tennessee high school. But Harper ended up at Oklahoma State where he played 43 games for the Cowboys and had 93 tackles, probably made a bigger impact on special teams throughout his career than at safety. But this past season, Harper became a starter at safety. And in Oklahoma State's scheme, they put three safeties on the field a lot. We've seen Notre Dame do that in the past. And Harper is one of those players that I think Marcus Freeman and defensive coordinator Al Goldensee as an individual that could help fill two spots on the defense. We mentioned yesterday the safety position is getting a little shallow as the Irish 
have lost some key parts to the National Football League or running out of eligibility. You've got Xavier Watts and Ramon Henderson back at the safety position. Watts continues to grow as he made the transition from wide receiver to defensive back. Those are the two guys on the roster that have played significant minutes or snaps at safety for this football team. Now we've heard the name Justin Walters for a couple of years. We have not seen him in action on defense. Will he be able to chip in? You've got three young guys coming in from the 23 class, Brandon Hillman, Ben Minich, and Aiden Schuler. Four-star prospects. Can you count on them right away? You'd like to see them grow underneath these other players, but we'll throw their names out there. And that brings us to Harper, who at Oklahoma State played safety, but also spent a little time in the nickel spot. And I saw a great stat. I think I mentioned this yesterday. Tyler James from Inside Indie Sports had a pretty good stat that while playing that nickel spot, 32 passes were thrown at him, 19 were completed. So when you think about Notre Dame losing their nickel, Tariq Bracey out of eligibility, here's a guy in Harper that is a candidate to be a part of the solution for replacing Tariq Bracey, a guy that can also compete with Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts for playing time at safety. Now, there's not as much data on Harper as, for example, Sam Hartman. Hartman has put a lot of good things on tape. You can go and watch them, and you see how he could be an impact guy and should be an impact guy for the offense. Harper does not have as much tape for us to look at and understand what he might be able to do. All I can tell you is 42 games played, 93 tackles, started seven games this year, missed the rest of the games due to injury, had 30 tackles this year, a couple of interceptions in his career. He can help out at nickel. He can help out at safety. So the Irish need depth at the safety spot, and they believe they have helped fill that void as Thomas Harper has picked Notre Dame after spending four years at Oklahoma State. So Justin Anabiola moves on with the year of eligibility still available. And Thomas Harper will use his final year playing in South Bend for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. I think it's fair to say Al Golden will have some interesting work to do and decisions to make with this defense. There's a lot of talent coming back, it sure looks like, at linebacker and some really interesting young players. So there's going to be some good competition at linebacker. Right now we're waiting to see who are going to be the guys along the defensive line and at the safety spot. Yeah, like linebacker, cornerback positions in really, really good shape as well with Morrison and Hart. You got Mickey, who played a ton of football this year. So those positions look pretty good. Let's see how the defensive line and safety spots develop over the next 230 days before the Irish take on Navy overseas to kick off their 2023 campaign. It's 525. Those are the opening pitches. When we come back, we're going to spend some time talking about these subjects and more with 
my good friend Patrick Engel, who covers Notre Dame football and Notre Dame men's basketball for Blue and Gold Illustrated. We'll have that conversation after the break on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is 5.30 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by one of our colleagues from Blue and Gold Illustrated. Check out his work at blueandgold.com. Patrick Engel, he writes about Notre Dame football and Notre Dame men's basketball. He's kind enough to join us on this Friday to talk about both subjects. Well, Patrick, congratulations on a great season for you guys covering the Irish at blueandgold.com. I was going to say the bowl games in the books, you can take a little bit of a breath, but anymore with the transfer portal and national signing day in December, I'm not sure you have any days off anytime soon. No, it, with the way the portal and the re- recruitment cycle in the portal kind of goes right after this season and with signing day right in between the bowl, no, it all kind of feels like just one continuation of the season. So <laughs> that's for, for February for, uh, to take a comp air here. Well, I've got a couple of things I want to talk to you about in regards to Notre Dame football and, of course, the big news this week, the expected news of Sam Hartman, the great quarterback from Wake Forest, five years with the Demon Deacons, leaves the ACC as the all-time touchdown pass leader, was in South Bend visiting and has picked the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. What do you think that does to the quarterback room and the possibilities for the Irish offense in 2023? I think it does a lot and probably more than any other move in a portal they could have made this year or even any other 2023 quarterback they could have done is, is if we're just talking how it impacts 2023 only. And really, I, I think we know why Notre Dame wanted to go out and get a transfer quarterback. And that was just to find like a higher degree of certainty that you're going to get at that position, just in the sense of like time, you know, whatever you thought of them. Started 10 games, now he's not around. Buckner, yes, even though they were, he was the guy they pushed in with and named the starter in the summer, still only played three games, just not really enough of a sample size either way to be comfortable betting on whatever he is or might be. So really trying to find something that would give you more projectability and stability at quarterback. And we saw how much the lack thereof can impact an offense and impact a season like it did this year. And when you're trying to find that, I think Notre Dame did as, as well as it possibly could have done. I mean, I, I ask anybody, I think you'll find that Hartman is the best quarterback in the portal. You look at some of the transfer portal rankings, you see he might be the best player in the portal. I mean, this is the mm-hmm. ACC's all-time leader in, in touchdown passes. Uh, a guy who passed Taj Boyd, who won a good number of games at Clemson himself to do that. So, you know, no small feat to, to jump ahead of someone like that who played for a team like that. And, yeah, yeah, you, I think Nothing's ever a sure thing, but as far as transfer portal quarterbacks go, I think Hartman is one as close to, like, you know what you're going to get as it possibly can be when you're finding someone out of the portal. And two, a guy who can really give you a real ceiling here. You see someone who's um, deep passing ability, back shoulder throw ability is really, really impressive. And, yeah, some of the numbers you wonder, like, all right, how much does that slow mesh RPO scheme that's so unique to them going to impact it? But when you go back and watch a lot of the third downs that he – throws that he made and, and where that slow meshes out the window you see a guy who can really feel pressure well who can keep his eyes downfield and extend plays and, and deliver uh strikes on on third down and down the field you look at the third down numbers are uh, really impressive and uh, just this past year he was sixth in third down passer rating 
uh, when he did throw the ball on, on third down. So I think that's a good sign of if you're thinking about how is it going to translate from uh, the slow mesh to uh, a just more conventional offense and that anything you leave Wake Forest for, save for the triple option, is a more conventional offense. But, yes, obviously a big-time uh, not only floor raiser for the 2023 season, but something that should raise the ceiling a lot too. Yeah, I like your analysis. I actually read read your piece, and you brought up the third down, which I think is a great way of of giving us a little idea what he might be able to do in this offense. I'm sure there's going to be a, a bit of a transition, but this guy has seen a lot and done a lot, so I think good things are ahead for the offense. L- let me just throw this out because I know there are times, Patrick, where coaches have to do the coach speak. Things they say to us isn't necessarily reality, but in order to play the game, they have to say it. When we get to the spring, one of the questions that's going to be asked is, is there a quarterback competition? You bring in this great quarterback in Sam Hartman. You have Tyler Buckner, who was a big thing coming out of high school and showed us a little something in the Gator Bowl just a few days ago. If, if Marcus Freeman says there's going to be a competition, is that going to be reality? Isn't it Sam Hartman's job? And it would take a massive overhaul of of Tyler Buckner's talents, taking it to another level to beat him out. It would be surprising if it's anything else. And I think we all can see where this thing is realistically going and who we can expect to see take the, the first snaps against maybe in Dublin uh, next August. But – Yes, I think you'll see see them like wait to name a starter or, or announce a QB one or, or put you won't you won't see the QB one tweet from the Notre Dame football account until August. <laughs> I'm guessing, and <laughs> I can understand that just in the sense of like wanting to keep the respect of your your locker room of mm-hmm. you know not just bringing in a random guy from out there and giving him the the title before he even puts on the practice jersey. But also for Tyler Buckner and wanting to give him a fair shot, even though, no, the door isn't exactly ajar for him to do it just because of who Sam Hartman is. But I think you'll see that. And I think part of the, the ideal like outcome with taking Hartman is getting Buckner to stay and having Tyler Buckner see a future at Notre Dame beyond 2023. And even if he does indeed end up uh, serving uh, Sam Hartman's backup this year. And I think part of that is giving him a fair shot and, you know, letting that competition bleed into August or at least through spring practice, even though, yes, it would be a big, big surprise with anybody else. Let's, let's make that very clear. But yeah. I, I think that's what you're going to see uh, Notre Dame frame it as and, and Marcus Freeman frame it as just in the sense of wanting to make sure this is presented to, to his team and to the, everybody who has a, a stake in the QB uh, room there uh, as, as fair a thing as possible when you're bringing in a transfer. So there's this Tommy Reese had mentioned earlier, there's kind of an ecosystem you have to manage in there. And I think that's just kind of part of it. I'm talking Notre Dame football with Patrick Engel from Blue and Gold Illustrated covers Notre Dame football and Notre Dame men's basketball. Today we found out Justin Adebayola declares for the NFL draft. Now, Justin had a year of eligibility left. Jason did not. So Justin could have been a starter at possibly the Viper spot left behind by Isaiah Foskey. I was mentioning this a couple of moments ago, Patrick, for so many years, I think since you've covered Notre Dame football, the quality of play and the depth along the defensive line has been pretty close to championship caliber football. They've come a long way since I sat down in Miami watching Alabama 
run over the Irish in the 2012 championship game. That was a weakness then, but defensive line play and depth has been a strength of this football team. Now we go to 2023. Is that going to be tested this year? Probably more so than it has been in several years, just with that uh, Adam Alolo's decision really playing into that. Like We knew Isaiah Foskey was gone after this year. Like I think we all could have projected that this time last year, right when he said he was coming back. I mean, he even kind of hinted at himself this was going to be it. But Adam Alolo, even though, no, you never really – bank on like 60 year guys and it's the COVID years only around for a couple more years. This is still a, a situation where you're going to have some uh, depth tested. And just far as production loss tested uh, both on the edge and on the interior that Adam Lola was, if he didn't stay at that strong side end spot that he kind of moved to in the back half of the season was almost assured they're going to take over for Foskey and Viper. Uh, now that's probably a, a situation where you, they're going to look at bringing in transfers or a transfer, uh, Jordan Patelho, who we saw get that start uh, in the Gator Bowl and read a couple of sacks. Someone who really kind of came on this year, finally found some kind of stable footing. We figured he might figure into that mix, if not start there. But you're still kind of banking on a lot of guys who you hadn't really seen a lot of like in the rotation. Like if, if Nana Osaka meant to say, let's say he starts at the, uh, that field end spot. He's been in there like 200 snaps the last couple of years, but kind of the backer end of that rotation there. Patelho only really became a guy who was on the field every week. That wasn't even that at the start of, of this year. And then Jacob Lacey, a guy who probably had a pretty good chance of starting this year. Uh, had he stuck around, he went in the transfer portal in October. He's going to Oklahoma. So we saw Notre Dame already pursue an interior line uh, transfer in Braden Fisk from Western Michigan, but he's headed to Forest State. So I think you're going to see, like, I don't think it's going to be a like weakness for Notre Dame per se, or like whoever the the four guys they run out there would be a weakness. But I'm wondering, and I kind of the thing I just want to track over the next like you know eight nine months until opening day, and even beyond that is like how reliable is and consistent or like realistically can they play that eight nine man rotation that they've used on the defensive line uh, the last few years, and that's where you kind of think of all right, is that who, which of those freshmen or uh, sophomore defensive lineman this past year who we didn't see at all is going to emerge there. So to get to that point and probably to get to the point of where like, this is a clear like strength again, anywhere in the neighborhood of what it was the last couple of years, you're going to need some of those like underclassmen who we basically see none of to really take a step. And, and there's some, you know, upside in that. These are some guys who were highly recruited like Tyson Ford, a top 100 guy, Josh Burnham, really athletic uh, Viper there who came in as a linebacker, former top, 150-ish. Junior Tui Halamaka moved to Viper. Probably has the, the frame for it, certainly. So a lot of moving pieces there. I'm curious to see how they shake out. But yes, a lot more unknowns and just more like production loss than we've come to used to be seeing in recent years with Notre Dame's defensive line. We also found out today, Patrick, that Notre Dame has added a safety from the transfer portal. Thomas Harper from Oklahoma State, a guy who hasn't played a whole lot of safety in his time in Stillwater, got seven starts this year. The only seven starts of his career got banged up and then did not play anymore. A big-time contributor on special teams. But let me ask you this. When you look at Notre Dame's depth chart in the secondary, Joseph is going to the NFL. Griffith is out of eligibility. D.J. Brown, he's got a year left. We don't know if he's coming back. I think he went through senior ceremonies, so that might tell you that answer. So the safety position 
could use a little boost besides two guys who played a lot in Henderson and Watts. And then you look at the nickel. I'm not sure there's an obvious replacement there right now with Tariq Bracey out of eligibility. So is Harper a guy that could help be a player that could help in both of those particular spots? Yes, absolutely. And I think you can liken it a little bit to what Sean Crawford did in 2020 in his last year where on first down or rundowns you saw him play safety. But then in nickel, it was D.J. Brown who would take his safety spot and Sean Crawford who would go play in the slot a lot of the time. I think you can kind of see something like that where this is a move that can kind of help out both of those spots where you're losing ultra-dependable Tariq Bracey, and he became that this past year, and losing Brandon Joseph, D.J. Brown, if indeed he does go, and then Houston Griffith. That's three guys who were uh, either Joseph, uh, a likely draft pick, and Brown and Griffith, two guys who played a ton and were fifth-year seniors. So a lot of you know experience drain there when you look at Bracey and those three guys leaving. And Harper, a guy who played over 1,100 snaps uh, in, on defense at Oklahoma State in his four years there, and someone who, who's they, – they play a three-three-five, and that spot in that that he played put him in the slot a lot of times. So I think he's kind of used to playing both of those areas, and you'll see Notre Dame try to use him in, in both of those. And it's safety. If Brown is gone – uh, that's seven safeties, which is a pretty good number, and actually one more than they had last year. We'll see if it obviously is the same number at the start of the year. But three of those guys will be freshmen. So you're looking at kind of an experience uh, gap there that you're hoping Thomas Harper can fill at safety and still probably use him in some ways that they used to replace you last year as well. He is Patrick Engel, covers Notre Dame football, Notre Dame basketball for Blue and Gold Illustrated. Read his work at Blue and Gold. It's an early start for the Irish basketball team tomorrow in Chapel Hill taking on North Carolina. Patrick, we've got the game here on WSBT radio pregame at 11 a.m. I'm not sure what I should ask at this particular point about the Irish because you got six really old basketball players who have played a ton of hoops and had a lot of success in their careers. Majority of them a part of last year's team that had success in March Madness. For whatever reason, it has not worked this year. They're 8-7, and 0-4 oh in the ACC. They haven't won a game outside of Purcell Pavilion yet, which is strange for an old team. I want to ask you this first, and I hate to go back, but I think we need to before we go forward. And I think we talked about this earlier in the year, but I underestimated the impact Blake Wesley had on this basketball team last year. And I think they miss what he did as an on-ball defender. And also, Patrick, I think where they miss him more than anything else with a bunch of guys who can't create their own shots, a lot of guys that have to be set up, there really isn't that instigator of the offense that can break down a defense and get them open for the open shot like Blake Wesley did last year. And I'll take it one step further, too, and add Paul Atkinson to that. Yep. And uh, a guy who was a really ultra-consistent uh, post-threat for them, not only as a, an option to get some points down there, but just how much they ran through him and how he was able to pass out of the post and, and really had the – I think the passing feel was just as impressive as the scoring numbers that he put up and, and the rebounding that he did uh, a year ago. So I think we figured those guys would be missed, but the fact that Notre Dame hasn't really found a like-for-like – player to them or someone who just has the same like type of game even if it's not 
you know, a, a one and done like Westy was. I don't think that's the expectation every year. Right. Like as incredibly gifted as JJ Starling is as a scorer, a finisher, maybe a little bit more so than Wesley in those areas. I think you've seen maybe the point guard feel and passing feel isn't quite on Wesley's level where he's getting the other guy's shots because he can break down a defense, but also because he reads it and makes the, the passing decisions really well. I think you're still seeing Starling trying to uh, learn how to do that and, and navigate that and wasn't quite as much of his game maybe uh, at, at Lollymere. And then Atkinson, they have replaced a ultra-reliable post threat with you know, not really much of a post threat or not even trying to really mm-hmm. go post up much, much at all. And, and I think that just kind of bogs down uh, an offense and what they're trying to do and that what relies on getting a lot of open jumpers. And, and you saw a lot of times last year how the attention Atkinson get and the passing uh, skill that he had would help create a lot of those open jumpers. And, you know, if he wasn't getting the assist, he was getting the hockey assist. He would force the defense in the rotation, and he would be really good at burning him on that when he would pass out of the post. And now I think that's why you're seeing a team full of pretty good shooters be a little uh, less consistent and have more, you know, vacillations game to game and how they shoot to three. And given the the issues on defense and maybe the lack of a post presence, you've got to make a lot of threes. And, they don't have a lot of margin for error for games where they even make eight of them, which is pretty crazy to say. But and we heard Mike Ray say it when we talked with him yesterday himself. But we, you know, we've got to make 13, 14 of them most nights it seems. And one, that's not where you want to be anywhere. But especially now and like just having so much like revolved around that, it's even the best shooting teams aren't going to get that number every day. Patrick, I've been here for every one of Mike Ray's seasons, and I don't ever recall Mike being so aggressive in some of his post-game comments about his team, the way he has this year, saying nobody will take a charge outside of Lashevsky. I think he said that after the Georgia game. Uh, he's made some comments about, hey, we're going to be able to go to Florida on spring break unless we stop turning the basketball over. Uh, to me, that's a sign he's out of buttons to push. He's trying anything at this point to get this team's attention. I'm a very positive guy. Last year at this time, after the beat Kentucky, I kind of laid out the net and the schedule that there was a path to get to the tournament. And despite winning 15 games in the league, they barely got in. I just can't figure out a path right now, Patrick, with the resume they have right now and with the ACC still being a little down, let alone if they turn things around, which I don't know if they will. It just seems like that this is going to be a a lost season for this basketball team, can you offer any more hope than that stuff I just threw out about how this team just doesn't seem like it's it's going to have much hope the rest of the way? I can't really know. I think it'd be <laughs> auto bitter bust. And this is not the strongest ACC, but it's a lot stronger Agreed. one than last year when 15 wins got you in the first four, and where the ACC tournament winner might not have made it as an at-large in Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still more potent. But even then, and even with a little bit more chances, there's just too big a hole here, I think, for them to dig out of, both in uh, bad losses, uh, a lack of, you know, we're sitting here at the halfway point of the season, basically, and not really much of a win to hang your hat on. Michigan State, uh, it, a good performance, but this isn't exactly a team that's in the polls or in the top 30 of the net or anything. And they've got it. Notre Dame has a big hole to dig in the computer metrics, so it's going to be tough. I mean, if there was going to be any any chance of, like, 
building an at-large case. I think that Miami game, the same day as the Gator Bowl, had to be pretty close to a must-win. And maybe in hindsight of Miami going to Georgia Tech and losing a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. it feels like even bigger a missed opportunity, even though I'm sure Notre Dame thought so itself, considering that it led that game at halftime. But, yeah, you're right. I, I think Bray himself has been talked in, in post-game and, and about how he's looking for things to push. And now he hasn't helped them enough. So, yeah, I, I my reaction to uh, some of his – post-game pressers was exactly what you said, but also he's, I think he's pretty aware of like, you know, where he's coming up short here and the fact, the fact that there aren't answers, I, I think kind of starts with him and he'd be the one to, to tell you that. So, I mean, he, it's, it's not hard to hear that he's kind of looking for something, anything to get him going. Like just when we talked to him yesterday, he was saying, you know, we've got to show him examples of getting out of holes. And, you know, I, I showed him the Packers and the Lions and how they were what one and six and four and eight at various uh, <laughs> point of this season and now they're in a, a win and in playoff game so uh, not exactly where you want to be but that's just kind of where this season is gone yeah my positively went out the door when they couldn't close that bc game when your head coach says i gotta help these guys and help them through these late game situations i mean these were problems we were having two three years ago and now the same group is going through it again it's it's frustrating it's really frustrating to watch. Patrick, what's going on right now at Blue and Gold Illustrated, the website, blueandgold.com? Yeah, it's been a busy day with all this newsy end of the week here in in Notre Dame. Uh, We've had a lot of stuff on Sam Hartman, of course. I wrote my usual Friday column on uh, Hartman's impact on Tyler Buckner and and what Sam Hartman brings. Uh, My colleague Tyler Horka did a big kind of timeline piece of everything that's happened in Notre Dame quarterbackville over the last year, Hmm. which uh, let me tell you, it's a lot from Dante Moore to now Sam Hartman to all the craziness in between on the field this season and recruiting over the summer. And, and of course, my colleague Mike Singer covering recruiting. He's uh, in San Antonio with the All-America Bowl, uh, where a lot of Notre Dame signings are playing. So you can find all of that um, on com, and you'll see more of that throughout the weekend and in the next week. Patrick, thanks for doing this. Greatly appreciate We'll catch up with you uh, once again soon. So thank you much. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate it. You bet. Patrick Engel covers Notre Dame football, Notre Dame men's basketball. Check out all of his work and his colleagues' work at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. It is 5.52 on this Friday evening. We're going to come back and do the Twitter question of the day next on WSBT. This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 5.56 at WSBT. Yesterday's Twitter question of the day, which was available on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat, which Notre Dame coordinator had the best 2022 season? Well, again, I did not put Brian Mason, the special teams coordinator, on this list because I think he would have won in a landslide, and he did a great job. But I was more focused on offense and defense, so that's why. The only two choices were Tommy Reese and Al Golden. And after 24 hours of voting, Tommy Reese won the battle with Al Golden. 62.7% believe that Tommy Reese had the better season. Al Golden got 37.3% of the vote. Thank you so much for voting. We greatly appreciate it. And we move on to... Today's question, and I sort of teased this question during my conversation a moment ago with Patrick Engel. 
I, I've seen a couple of media members talk about there's going to be a quarterback competition at Notre Dame with Hartman and Buckner. I personally don't believe that. It may be presented to us, which I totally understand, that it will be a competition, but you don't bring in Sam Hartman to be the backup. Again, if Tyler Buckner outperforms Sam Hartman by a wide margin, then, yeah, we got a different conversation to have. But this arguably is the premier talent in the portal. The Irish got him, and it's just hard for me to imagine that he's not starting for this football team. So, again, I get through the media, you have to say it's a competition, but in the real world, in the Goog, is it really a competition? So I'm putting the question to you, the fan. Do you expect there to be a true, true in capital letters, quarterback competition at Notre Dame? I'm giving you three choices. Number one, yes, there will be a true quarterback competition, Buckner versus Hartman. The second choice is no, there will not be a true quarterback competition because Sam Hartman is starting. And I'm going to put a third answer out there. Once again, no, there will not be a true quarterback competition because Tyler Buckner starts. I don't think that'll be chosen a lot, but I want to make sure those individuals have a voice in this conversation. So again, our question for today, do you expect there to be a true quarterback competition at Notre Dame? Yes, Buckner versus Hartman. No, Hartman starts. No, Buckner starts. We'll see how the voting turns out. We'll pass along the results on Monday's Budweiser's Weekday Sports Pay. Hope you all have a great weekend, by the way. We'll be back, of course, on Monday. We have reached the top of the hour here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Coming up in just a little bit, we're going to have a conversation with Connor O'Neill from DeaconsIllustrated.com. He has covered Sam Hartman for five years at Wake Forest, and now Hartman a part of this Fighting Irish football program. So what makes him a great player? Why did he not run as much this year? Was it because of the blood clot he suffered in August? Did Wake Forest protect him more than in past years when he was running a whole lot more? We will provide a handful of answers for you when we get to that interview coming up later on in the 6 o'clock hour. So we'll take a break, come back with a sports update, and then we'll get the 6 o'clock hour of Sports Beat going on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT South Bend. And it's time for hour number two, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed for this Friday. Darren Pritchett with you, broadcasting tonight from my man cave as I get ready to call Notre Dame hockey tonight from the same exact spot. The Irish are at the Kohl Center in Madison, Wisconsin. It's Notre Dame and Wisconsin in Big Ten play. Game one of a two-game series tonight. Opening face-off at 8 o'clock, pregame at 7.45 on our sister station, Quality Rock, 94.3 FM. Tomorrow, we will get started with a 6.15 pregame and a 6.30 opening face-off from that multi-sport facility, the home of the Badgers men's and women's basketball team and also the men's ice hockey team. The women's hockey team has their own facility, and it is quite impressive. So hockey coming up 
in just a little bit. We have Sports Beat on the air for another 48 minutes until the top of the hour here on WSBT Radio. Again, our top stories of the day, Justin Abiola, Notre Dame defensive end, gives up that extra year of eligibility, declares for the NFL draft. Thomas Harper, the safety from Oklahoma State in town, visiting the Irish, has committed to Notre Dame, could help them in the nickel spot and also at the safety position in 2023. Well, with Anabiola going to the NFL draft, easy segue into our next segment. What's at stake for the Chicago Bears this weekend? Well, we know that Justin Fields, their quarterback, will not play due to a hip strain. Nathan Peterman will get the start at Soldier Field against the Minnesota Vikings, a game that you can hear on our sister station, Quality Rock 94.3 FM. Now, the Bears have a chance to earn the number one pick in the National Football League draft. What needs to happen? The Bears need to lose their game to the Vikings. And with Peter at quarterback, I would say there's a good chance that happens. And also, they will need the Texans to win their game against the Colts. You know what? I think that's very possible, to be honest with you. If that happens, the Chicago Bears would pick number one in the draft, or at least would have the capabilities to do so. Not sure they would pick number one. Not sure that would be the right move, if you get the right deal, of course. And we'll get to that in just a couple of moments. The last time the Bears picked number one, 1947, they went out on a limb. Truly, they did, and selected Bob Fenimore. He was a halfback from Oklahoma A&M. He was an injured football player last year at Oklahoma A&M. He was known as the Blonde Bomber and became a member of the Chicago Bears. He was banged up, and it never worked out as Fenimore appeared in 10 NFL games, rushing for just 189 yards. So not a lot of history of Bears football picking number one in the NFL draft. And based on what I have read, the worst they can be is the fourth overall pick. More than likely, they're number two without outside chance of gaining the number one spot. When you think of the top of the NFL draft each year, you think about is there a franchise quarterback available or franchise quarterbacks available for teams to grab? The Houston Texans need a franchise quarterback. The Chicago Bears do not. They have Justin Fields, who they are developing, fingers crossed, into their franchise quarterback for many years to come. There are so many teams in the National Football League that – want to get their hands on a young quarterback that can change the complexion of their franchise. And looking at the draft order as we sit here today, Houston at number one, absolutely. They tried David Mills. It's not going to work out. They probably would be highly interested in Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. The Bears sitting at number two, don't want to take a quarterback at that spot. To me, there might be two players that you take at number two. Otherwise, you trade out. To me, Will Anderson, the Ed's rusher out of Alabama, truly the best college football player. He makes sense. I like him the most. I put Jalen Carter of Georgia, their defensive tackle, that monster 
DT for the Bulldogs in that conversation. I'm not a big fan of taking an interior defensive lineman at number two. So I put him on the list, not sold there. Love taking an edge rusher or a quarterback. So if the Bears get the type of interest from other teams that you would expect with quarterbacks like Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Will Levis from Kentucky available, the Bears have a chance to make out very, very well picking up multiple first-round picks. There is a good chance you can drop down later on in the top 10 and still get the type of football player that you're looking for. But back to the quarterback conversation. Texans at one, yes. Bears at two, no. Seahawks at three, could, possibly, would make sense. But maybe Geno Smith is a player that they're going to try to ride a little longer. Arizona at four, they got Kyler Murray, so you would say no. Indianapolis Colts, uh, yes, please. I think every Colt fans, yes, definitely. We need a quarterback. Would C.J. Stroud interest you? Possibility. The Detroit, Lions, the Detroit Lions at six. Jared Goss played okay, especially at home. Do you have to draft a quarterback right now if you're Detroit? That's a maybe at six. Las Vegas Raiders at seven. Yeah, it looks like they're done with David Carr. So, yeah, they're interested. Atlanta Falcons at eight. Probably not. They took Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. They're going to see if that works. Carolina at nine. Boy, they've been down that quarterback road a lot, but I would have to say yes. And Tennessee Titans at 10. Not necessary, but a possibility. So just think about the teams that at the very least might take a quarterback. Texans, Seahawks, Colts, Lions, Raiders, Panthers, Titans. So outside of the Bears and Arizona, and maybe Atlanta, seven of the ten are interested in a quarterback. So you would have to imagine the GM of the Bears, Ryan Poles, his phone is going to be very, very busy leading up to the NFL draft. The Bears might be able to acquire several first-round picks. This is a team rebuilding. You are in a great, great spot. If you're at number one, I mean – If there are teams that believe in one quarterback in particular, they'll fight over him, and the Bears are going to be the beneficiary. So you love to see your football team win, but if you're going to be bad, be really bad. And the Bears just need to lose on Sunday to ensure they have at least the number two pick because you can take Will Anderson, you can take Jalen Carter, or you can trade the pick. Win, win, win. I really love Anderson, and I really love trading the pick. Carter, you got to sell me on it. There's not, I would say, an offensive lineman that you should take in the top five in this draft. Later on down the line, there are some guys who could help out the Bears if they want to go tackle. The kid out of Northwestern, Peter Skoronsky, is a possibility. Paris Johnson from Ohio State, a player of the Irish face. you got Broderick Jones from Georgia. Those are some of the possibilities. Now, let me mention Michael Mayer for a second. I'm, I checked out an ESPN.com mock draft today, and one Notre Dame player is going in the first round. No surprise, it is Michael Mayer. And according to this mock draft, and we have many more mock drafts to go through, but just to wet your whistle, you talk about a perfect fit. 
Michael Mayer drafted 19th overall by the Green Bay Packers. He, I know Bears fans, you're going to hate me for saying this, but he seems like a Packer tight end. They've always got those tight ends that are really good pass catchers. Now, this would be a big step up. Mark Chimura was pretty good in the day, but he was more of a physical guy. And Packer fans, you could probably maybe top me, but this might be the chance for the Packers to take the most talented tight end they have had since they had Keith Jackson way back in the day, the old Oklahoma tight end who started out, if I'm not mistaken, with the Philadelphia Eagles. So there you go, Michael Mayer in that mock draft, number 19 to the Green Bay Packers. We don't expect Isaiah Foskey to be a first-round pick unless he absolutely blows up between now and the NFL draft, which is in late April this year. So for the Chicago Bears, there is a chance they could have the number one pick if they lose and the Texans beat the Colts. The Colts have an 84% chance to pick in the top five and a 99.9% chance to pick in the top 10. And if they end up at number five, they might have to move up to get the quarterback they want. They could play the game and hope they get the quarterback they want at number five, but Colts would be someone I'm sure the Bears would be calling about that number two spot. 621 is our time. Darren Pritchett with you. Bears football on Quality Rock 94.3 FM. Colts football on 96.1 the ton. Speaking of quarterbacks, the Irish have a good one. Wake Forest Sam Hartman picked Notre Dame earlier this week. Let's learn more about Sam Hartman. I recently caught up with Connor O'Neill from DeaconsIllustrated.com. We'll bring you that interview coming up after the break. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Friday, 622 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Thank you very much. Sports beat continues at 628 on this Friday evening. We're going to push back the Connor O'Neill interview just a couple of minutes. So you'll learn more about Sam Hartman coming up in our next segment here on WSBT Radio. In this little brief segment, I just want to set up tonight's Notre Dame hockey game, if you don't mind. The Irish hockey team, they're going to be on the road for the first time since the day after Thanksgiving when they beat Boston College up in Chestnut Hill. The Irish had a couple of games against Penn State to wrap up the first half. Those two games were at home and then a pair of games last weekend at home against Alaska in non-conference play. Notre Dame's offense still is not where it needs to be. They scored two goals at a 3-2 loss Saturday to the Nanooks and then posted a 2-0 win on Alaska on Sunday. They'll take on a Wisconsin team tonight that has eight wins overall, but they are just 1-9 in the Big Ten Conference. If you follow Notre Dame hockey and you are the type that kind of digs in and there are some names that always stand out from the opposition. Well, that's kind of the case for Wisconsin. There's a lot of familiar names on this team that have been a part of this squad the last couple of years. Uh, two years ago when they had Cole Caulfield, now one of the most exciting players in the NHL, they were an NCAA championship contender. They still have his younger brother on the team, Brock Caulfield, and they have a first-round pick in Cole Kuhlman's. He is a defenseman for Wisconsin that stuck around for another year. And then some good parts, forwards like Gorniak, Lindmark, D. St. Fowl, D. 
Dylan Malmquist, the old Irish forward. His brother plays for Wisconsin. But the Badgers have really, really been scuffling this year. The Big Ten, everybody is ranked except Wisconsin. So every time out they're facing a ranked opponent. Notre Dame is 4-5-1 and one in the Big Ten. They have obviously been up and down in conference play on the road in particular. And this is a fact that really has to change. The last 10 games, Notre Dame has alternated wins and losses. If they win tonight, they break that trend because their most recent game was a win over Alaska on Sunday. And a win would stop that streak, which is a good thing. And also, this would mark the first time Notre Dame has won back-to-back games since the middle of October. You have to go all the way back to October 14th, 16th, and 21st when Notre Dame beat Northern Michigan twice and also Western Michigan for a three-game winning streak. They have not had a winning streak since the middle of October. You look at the pairwise rankings, which decides the at-large teams that go to the NCAA tournament. Notre Dame is 16th right now. They entered last weekend against Alaska, 14th, so they dropped back a couple of spots. You always want to be in the top 12 to feel good about your chances getting into the tournament, but right now this team just has to play more consistent, better hockey. The special teams, the penalty kill's been getting a lot better. The power play is still not where it needs to be. Unfortunately, they are four for their last 50. So for Notre Dame, these are two games. If you're going to be a tournament team, these are games you got to win despite the fact you're on the road at the Kohl Center. There's probably not going to be a big atmosphere for this series. Attendance has been down for Wisconsin. you got to find a way to win these two hockey games, and then you come home to take on the number one team in the country next weekend, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. After you play Wisconsin, let's see, 10 of the last 12 games are against ranked opponents. Wisconsin not ranked. Let's bag six points and come back to South Bend and get ready for the number one team in the country, the old Wis- or the old Minnesota Golden Gophers. But first, they have to take care of business against Wisconsin. All right, we're going to step aside again. When we come back, we will bring you that interview with Connor O'Neill. He is the publisher of Deacons Illustrated. He has covered Sam Hartman for five years while he played at Wake Forest. That conversation is coming up next on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, the big news yesterday, Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman has committed to the Fighting Irish to play football for Notre Dame in 2023, his final year of eligibility after five terrific years playing quarterback for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. An individual who knows Sam Hartman as well as anyone covering Wake Forest football, it's the publisher of Deacons Illustrated, Connor O'Neill. Connor, I guess from a Wake Forest perspective, was this the thought all along that probably Sam Hartman would play this year and then move on. I guess the expectation was possibly the NFL, but I guess going to another school was always a possibility. Yes. Yeah, so I, I 
Sam finished the 2021 season and, you know, accounted for 50 touchdowns uh, as one of three ACC quarterbacks to ever do that. And his company in that category is uh, Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. So he's got that. And he ended last year putting out some stuff on social media about, you know, one more year. So in the spring, I kind of got him to confirm, yeah, this, this was going to be his last season, even though he had two years of eligibility. And Sam never explicitly said, I'm going to the NFL after this year. Uh, it felt like that was the plan, though. And it felt like that was the plan up until about maybe two months, a month and a half ago, when it really started to seem like, you know, he might he might have a chance to make more money in NIL uh, going to a Blue Blood program rather than trying to scrape by on somebody's practice squad or as the third-string quarterback on a – on a bad NFL team, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's disrespectful to say he's not coming in and starting from, from day one uh, for anybody in the NFL. So, you know, this, this kind of all came into focus in the last month and a half, uh, maybe, maybe only a month. And uh, it's, it's been headed this way. And so that's why it kind of wasn't as much of a shock uh, here in the last few days has kind of trickled out. Reading a couple of your articles, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what seems like a misperception about the Wake Forest offense. You have written about Wake Forest has an unconventional slow mesh system, but maybe people misconstrued what this offense is all about. Some believe going somewhere else might improve his draft stock. So I guess start off by clearing up is there a problem with the Wake Forest system that is hurting Sam Hartman and the perception of NFL scouts? I think the perception hurts Wake's players on the offensive side of the ball more than the actual system hurts their players when they come out. Um, it's, it's kind of just you, you hear about this slow mesh uh, RPO system that Wake runs and everybody just thinks, well, every play wake runs is this slow mesh where the, you know, the, the mesh point is usually a decision point between running back and quarterback that lasts maybe a second for normal teams. And for wake, they elongate that and it lasts two, three, four seconds. Even it's, it's something else to watch and, and kind of uh, diagnose, but they don't run it. Uh, they don't major in it is kind of the football terminology. They don't make it the focal point of their offense. They sometimes don't run it at all against teams. Like they, against Clemson, somebody that is going to blow them up up the middle uh, with a bunch of NFL bound defensive tackles. They don't run it because you can't, you just, you, you don't have that much time. So it's, it's really, it, it's kind of, it's become, it's kind of taken on its own life uh, mm -hmm. where people just think, Wake runs the slow mesh offense. Uh, it, it's it's almost become the triple option where and, and the wishbone where you just think that pro prospects can't come out of that system and it's not true because it's not what they do exclusively. Um, they have plenty of RPOs that look just like everybody else's RPOs and they're they're pretty successful too. Connor O'Neill, the publisher of Deacons Illustrated, my guest, talking about Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman. So, Connor, in your opinion, 
could Hartman use the opportunity to play in another system to enhance his pro prospects, let alone having a chance possibly to do something really good at the college level next year? Yeah, I, I think so. And um, I think there is truth to the fact that the NFL side of things, they want to see Wake's quarterbacks and, and other offensive players in a different system. And, and you can say that without saying they want to see them run uh, non-slow mesh stuff. Um, you know, the, there's a prime example of that who might be one of the best running backs already in the NFL with Kenneth Walker III. Uh, spent two years at Wake Forest and transferred to Michigan State and ran for more yards in his one season at Michigan State than he did in the first two years at Wake and is now really, really good for the Seahawks. Uh, he thrived in the pro-style offense at Michigan State. I think Sam could kind of take on the same. And, and Sam, it's not like he toiled away with, with few touches at Wake. He's the, he's the starting quarterback for the last three years and started most of the games as a freshman. So I think where this where this will get interesting is what Sam looks like in a different offense because we don't know we don't know what that looks like. Um, it, it's been the same offensive coaches at Wake Forest for all five of his years. It's not like he had to adjust to a new system. So this will be the first time in college that Sam is adjusting to a new system. But you kind of think he's prepared for that. I mean, he he came to Wake Forest and started nine games as a as a 19 year old freshman. Uh, one of those games was against Notre Dame the last time yeah. Wake and Notre Dame played. So, yeah, I, I think he's I think he's prepared for it. I think he's pretty well suited to to, to succeed in this. Um, I I'm uh, I think there's a there's a pretty good avenue for success for Sam in this route. Connor, we've read the numbers on the air of Sam Hartman in his career at Wake Forest: twelve thousand nine hundred passing yards, a hundred ten touchdown passes has the ability to run the football as well just throwing aside all the numbers for a moment as you've watched Sam Hartman through the years what do you believe are his strengths that should show up in any system for for lack of a better term he's just a tough kid um he's he's taken some beatings uh he's you know the I, I don't know how well versed uh, people are about his August medical situation, but about a week into fall camp this year, he's going through a, an off day workout and they realized that his, uh, I think it was his left arm looked a little strange and they eventually find that he's suffering from a blood clot and <laughs> they have to uh, put him on blood thinners and remove, they eventually had to remove his top rib and he missed one game from that and was back playing at Vanderbilt in week two. Um, he's just, uh, you know, he's, he's the, he's the kid that uh, he, the, the 2020 uh, Duke's Mayo Bowl, he threw four interceptions in the second half to lose a game to Wisconsin. And he comes back the next season. And, uh, that's the 50 touchdown season and leads Wake to an 11 win season an ACC championship game appearance. Um, he's just, he's able to bounce back from a lot of things. And uh, he, 
earned the respect of, of just about everybody in Wake's locker room. I, I have not talked or I don't know of a single player in Wake's locker room that, you know, doesn't come away from being on, on the same team with Sam Hartman with a negative experience. Um, he, his leadership quality was just off the charts. He was a three-year captain for them. Uh, he'll he'll bring a lot of intangibles to the table that are are going to help elevate the guys around him. Connor, I know the one thing that stands out for me, and this has been a weakness of Notre Dame quarterbacks, in particular this year with Drew Pine, the inability to get the football down the field. Now, the Irish wide receivers are not nearly as good as Wake Forest wide receivers, in my opinion, this year. But still, Notre Dame has not been able to push the ball down the field. Isn't it fair to say, Connor, that one of the strengths of Sam Hartman is his ability to throw the deep ball? Absolutely. Um, he throws a great deep ball. It's it's gonna this is gonna be something that's really interesting to watch. I I think Sam was told to underthrow deep balls more often than not at Wake. Hmm. Um, of course you always wanna hit your receiver in stride, but if you overthrow a ball, it gets a little harder to draw a pass interference call. But if you underthrow it and your receiver has to try to come back to the ball and gets contacted by a DB, that's more often than not going for defensive pass interference and it's 15 yards and it's first down. And I'd have to go back and watch the film, but I would estimate they got about six of those calls against Clemson uh, in that in the game, mm -hmm. uh, the shootout in Winston-Salem this past season. So it'll be interesting to see if he's uh, able to kind of cut it loose a little more. Uh, not that not that he had reins on him. It's just that that aspect of hit receivers in stride on deep balls or underthrow them. Um, but you're right. I mean that's that's one of the things that I've kind of been kicking around in my head is um, I I don't know how disrespectful it would be to your to your listener group to ask if Wake has better receivers than Notre Dame has. Uh, At Perry is is yeah. going to go to the NFL. Uh, Donovan Green looks like he's kind of in the next spot to, to jump to the NFL. And then uh, Jamal Banks really came on strong this year and had I think eight or nine touchdowns. So he he's been he's had the luxury of throwing to a lot of really good receivers at Wake. Um, not that he won't have really good receivers at Notre Dame, but he's had some really good ones in the last five years. Yeah, Caleb Smith from Virginia Tech is transferring in. There could be a couple of holdovers from this year's team and a really good freshman class coming in at wide receiver. But I watch Wake Forest most of the year, Connor, and your guys' wide receivers were tremendous. Now, I'll take the Michael Mayer guy at tight end from, from Notre Dame, but wide receiver-wise, <laughs> hey, I'm thoroughly impressed with the connection Hartman had with his wide receivers. So let me ask one other attribute about Sam Hartman, his ability to run the football. I went back and watched a lot of highlights today of Sam Hartman and his ability to escape the pocket or even at times in a read option takeoff for long runs. I'm not sure he did it as much this year. Maybe you can comment on that, but how much of a game changer can Hartman be besides throwing the football, his ability to run it? That was one of the things that, you know, they, that was the missing element of Wake's offense this season. Uh, Wake's offense was still a decent offense. Uh, I think they averaged around 37 or 38 points a game, but the quarterback run element just wasn't there. And 
I have not had this confirmed by anybody. Uh, it's just kind of another working theory, but I, I at least know in the beginning of the season, they were taking things easy with Sam because of the blood clot situation. Um, because there was a, I mean, that's a life threatening situation and he's back playing football and he's medically cleared, but you don't want him out there running the ball 20 times a game, uh, four weeks after he was laid up having a surgery. So, as the season went, you saw him run a little more, but I do think he was kind of capped in in his rushing attempts. And uh, again, that's a, that's another thing I'm really curious to see if it changes with Notre Dame if if they want to uh, call you know 15 to 20 zone reads a game and give him free reign to to uh, pull it himself and run around the edge as many times as he wants, then the thing you've got to remember about Sam is he's an ultra competitor. Uh, he will do literally whatever it takes to, to get his team a win. And that's why you see even even this year when he wasn't running as much, uh, that first game against Vanderbilt, he threw a lead block to spring a running back for a touchdown. And it wasn't just the quarterback getting in the way. It was lowering his shoulder and actually putting it into a, a hybrid safety. So he's, He's a competitor. Um, that kind of leads me to think that he'll run more next season. But that's something that I just we, – we won't know until, you know, what, eight months from now. Kind of let me finish with this. You mentioned the medicals, and that's obviously a concern. Are there any red flags, any negatives they have to worry about? I think it's just the medicals. I think as long as you – as long as you feel good about the blood clot situation. Um, it, it's important to note, I mean, that that wasn't just something that popped up. That was uh, that stemmed from something from when Sam was in high school. So it, I don't know how extensive those checks get, uh, especially when you're considering transfers. I know the, the, I know they're super extensive when guys are going into the NFL. And this is where you could make a joke about, you know, comparing going to the NFL or going to Notre Dame. But yeah, yeah I, I think as long as you, as long as you clear up the medical situation uh, and, and get kind of the doctors to sign off on it, I don't think there are any other concerns. It's certainly not any character concerns that I'm aware of. So it, it sounds like this is also a guy in the locker room. He can be a, a really good leader. Oh man. Um I, I have nothing negative to say about the the way Sam is um, handled the locker room. You know, he AT Perry has been Wake's best receiver for the last two years, and I, I'm thoroughly convinced that AT would not be in the position that he's in right now if not for Sam kind of taking him under his wing. Uh, they both came in in 2018 as freshmen, but Sam had a lot more playing time early in his career. He felt like he was the more experienced guy and he really took AT under his wing, worked with him and threw on the side with him and really developed him. Uh, probably, probably deserves as much credit as Wake's receivers coaches for developing AT because, you know, AT is, is bound for the NFL. And if not for Sam, I don't know if that's the case. Wake Forest is on the Irish schedule next year here at Notre Dame stadium. Can you put in a perspective how emotional Sam might be knowing how invested and how much of a difference maker he was at Wake Forest? 
Yeah, that's going to be tough. Um, it's something that I, I'm skipping ahead a few steps, but I, I really would be interested in talking to Sam about that. Uh, I know it's it's not like this situation where Sam is going to leave Wake Forest and says, okay, I have to go to one of the schools that's on Wake's schedule next year because I want to play them. It's probably, honestly, if I had to guess, I would say uh, Sam would have preferred not to go to a school that's on uh, Wake's schedule just because of how awkwardly messy the situation could be. Um, he's a He's a mature kid, though. I think – I'm pretty sure he'll be 24 when he's playing next season. Uh, he's He's been able to handle a lot of things in his life uh, on on and off the football field. So it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I would, I would wager that he's able to kind of shove that all to the side and, and really focus on the game. Kind of great work on covering this story. You had it first, and we really appreciate your time this evening as we look forward now to seeing Sam Hartman put on that Fighting Irish helmet during spring practice. Connor O'Neill, the publisher of DeaconsIllustrated.com. More sports beat in a moment on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSB.